0: The text for the sermon this evening is Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. We'll read that first, that we have before our mind, the text for the sermon. And then we'll go back to Deuteronomy. purpose of reading from Deuteronomy is to show from the Word of God the required separation between the Jews and the other nations of the earth. And we'll read a few verses from Galatians, Galatians chapter three, to show the contrast between what God required in the Old Testament as to what was required in the New Testament. We'll start with Ephesians two, eleven through eighteen. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Let's now turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7, and we will read the first 16 verses of this chapter. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Seven nations greater and mightier than thou And when the Lord thy God shall deliver thee deliver them before thee Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor show mercy unto them Neither shalt thou make marriages with them thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art, And holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you. Because you were more in number than any people. For you are the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you. And because you would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And repayeth them that hate him to their face, to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep And do them that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep and the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. And thou shalt consume all the people, which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. And then finally, let's turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. We'll see in Galatians 3 a markedly different word of God about the distinctions between Jews and Gentiles in the conclusion of this chapter. Galatians 3, let's start reading at verse 24, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Galatians 3, 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God bless the reading of his word unto our hearts. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the significance of the inclusion of the Gentiles into the New Testament church is a reality that can be difficult for our minds to grasp. And the reason it's difficult for us To grasp the significance of this is because we are forgetful and because we so quickly forget what the existence of God's church was like for thousands of years. If you had gone to any Old Testament Jew living in Jerusalem, prior to the time of Jesus Christ. And you had asked that Jewish individual if God's covenant would include all of the nations of the earth, if it would include people from the region of Galatia, people from Ephesus, people from Corinth, people from the far eastern nations of the earth stretching all the way to the far western nations of the earth, the answer of that Jewish individual prior to Jesus Christ likely would have been no. No, for God's covenant is with us. You see, there was a distinction that was maintained. It was a sharp distinction. And it was a distinction that was maintained not just by the people of Israel, but it was a distinction that was maintained and established by God Himself. God was the one who set the Jewish nation apart from all of the other nations of the earth. But then God was the one at the dawn of the New Testament who gathered not just Jews unto himself, but also Gentiles. It is this reality that the Apostle Paul faces in Ephesians two, eleven, and following. He faces the question of how? How did it end? This period where it was only one nation being gathered. How did that end? And then how did it come about that now there are many other nations that are gathered into the church and covenant? He faces the question, what is the effect for you as a child of God living in 2023? Let's consider this evening, this text under the theme, the Gentiles... Salvation. First, we'll consider their former state, considering what it was like for the Gentiles throughout the Old Testament. Consider then, secondly, the middle wall broken, looking at the work of Jesus Christ, verse 14 especially. And then third, their present state. What is the status of the Gentiles presently? What the Apostle Paul seeks in this text to do is to teach us what it was like for the Gentiles throughout the Old Testament. The focus of the Word of God in the Old Testament Scriptures is particularly on the Jews And so we teach our children about what it was like for Jewish children to live and grow up in this covenant community. But now the Apostle Paul looks at this Jewish nation from a different perspective. What was it like for those who were not Jews but were Gentiles? So he describes the state of the Gentiles for us in the 12th verse. And at that time, he says, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Aliens from the commonwealth. The commonwealth is an organization of a certain group of people. It's a gathering of people who are unified for a particular reason. A commonwealth could be established for any reason, religious or secular. A commonwealth could be a gathering of people who share a cultural heritage, who share a common interest in a particular subject to have similar political views, or a group of gathers for religious purposes. A commonwealth being a gathering of a certain group of people is necessarily exclusive. There are some who are gathered into the commonwealth, but then some who are not welcome into the commonwealth. The commonwealth that is spoken of in this text is described as the commonwealth of Israel, and that it's the commonwealth of Israel, helps us understand what was the unifying power, the unifying force that drew this organization of people together. It wasn't that they had similar political views. It wasn't merely that they spoke the same language or had a similar interest in hobbies, But this was the commonwealth of Israel, of Jacob. It was the commonwealth that was united because God had chosen this people to be his people. It was a commonwealth that enjoyed security and protection from Jehovah God. If you look at this commonwealth throughout Old Testament history, on how many different, seemingly countless occasions did not this nation enjoy divine protection from Jehovah God? How many different times did they not face an enemy that was greater than them, more advanced than them, had superior weapons to them, and yet this commonwealth was given victory over the nations of the earth that seemed to have the advantage over them. It's because they were the commonwealth of Israel. They were God's people. And then as well, this commonwealth of Israel enjoyed the word of God being given unto them. They had the promise of God. The text speaks of that in the 12th verse, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Those who were within the commonwealth received the covenants of promise. And the plural here is the word covenant, not because there is more than one covenant, but because there are different manifestations of that one covenant throughout history. It's the covenant of promise, where God makes promises unto his people. And centrally, the promise that God gave unto the commonwealth was the promise of the seed of the woman. Already in the beginning, after Adam and Eve fell into sin, God came unto them with that promise that He would send the seed of the woman. That this seed of the woman would do battle with the seed of the serpent, for there is enmity between these two seeds. But that ultimately then this seed of the woman would destroy or crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So this then was the Commonwealth, Israel. But God says of the Gentiles that they were aliens from that Commonwealth. The aliens. raises vivid images in the mind. The idea here of an alien is of somebody who is excluded. Someone who is not welcome into this organization. The, it, it could literally be translated this way that at that time you were without Christ, being excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And so the Ephesians, to whom the Apostle Paul is writing, the Corinthians, the Philippians, at that time throughout Old Testament history, they did not belong to the commonwealth of Israel. And the reason that they were excluded is because God himself excluded them from this covenant of promise. We read of that in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In, verse, in the opening verses of this chapter, God was speaking to the Israelites, giving them last minute instructions before they're going to enter the land of Canaan. And God is preparing them here for what they must do once they enter the land of Canaan. 7 verse 1 of Deuteronomy. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And thus it is in that there was a marked distinction between those who belonged to the commonwealth and those who were aliens, separated and excluded from the commonwealth. Those who were within the commonwealth were to be circumcised, According to the covenant word that God gave unto Abraham, all male sons were to be presented to be circumcised, receiving that sign of the covenant. But the Gentiles excluded from the commonwealth did not circumcise their male sons. Those within the commonwealth sought to live according to the Mosaic law that God had given unto the nation of Israel which governed them as a religion the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral laws that God had given unto them, whereas the Gentiles, in distinction from that for thousands of years, were not governed by the Mosaic law, but were governed by the laws of the world. There was a separation between the two, a great chasm between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Old Testament. Ephesians 2 verse 13 speaks of the fact that they were were separated. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off. And that word sometimes can be translated as ye who previously. Ye who at one time were far off. That's what described the status of the Gentiles. They were far off from the covenant of God. There was a physical sense even in which the Gentiles were removed from the Jews and from God himself. Because recall throughout the Old Testament history, God tabernacled with his people in the the temple, which was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so if the people were to enjoy communion with God, they had to go up unto the house of the Lord. But the Gentile nations being removed from that physical city of Jerusalem and from that physical temple were far off, even externally from the people of God and from the covenant of God. But it's not just in a physical sense that These Gentiles were far off, but there's also a spiritual sense in which they were far off from the Jews. It's not as if the Gentiles had their religion and the Jews had, under the influence of the Gentiles' religion, had a somewhat different religion, but a religion that had similarities that were shaped and influenced by the Gentiles' religion. No, the very religions of the Jews versus the Gentiles were distinct one from another. The Jews worshipped a unique God, Jehovah God, who claimed to be the divine creator, who claimed to be The God who upheld the heavens and the earth and the pagan pagan nations of the earth wanted nothing to do with that Christian religion. So great was the separation between Jew and Gentile that there was even outright enmity between the two. The 15th verse. Verse having abolished in his flesh the enmity. They hated one another. That's what happens when unrighteousness comes into contact with righteousness. The response of the wicked world, those who are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, is not neutral as they behold the righteousness of God's people. But there is hatred that rises up within their hearts. They detest the commonwealth of Israel. Over and over again throughout history, this enmity revealed itself. Cain saw evil. Offer unto God a more righteous sacrifice. So Cain killed him. Philistines fighting against the Israelites. Babylon, which came and took Israel captive. Enmity. Now if it seems bad at this point, the description of the text shows unto us that it gets even worse. For not only was it the case that the Gentiles were aliens of the commonwealth, strangers of the covenants of promise, but worse yet, the 13th, rather the 12th verse tells us that they were without Christ. And then the end of the verse having no hope and without God in the world. What worse verdict could be given to someone than to say that this person is without Christ. Without a mediator, without a deliverer, to be without Christ is to be Outside of Christ. Outside of the body of Christ. Outside of fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. To be without Christ is to be without a Savior. To be without Christ is to be without hope. When the text says that they were without hope, we understand this to mean, of course, that they were without any heavenly hope. Oh, the Gentiles certainly had their earthly hopes. They had plans for how they could find peace and how they could establish unity. They had hopes of advancement of their kingdoms, they had hopes of military conquest. They hoped to take over other lands. but When the text says that the Gentiles were without hope, it means they were without any heavenly hope. The only thing that the Gentiles could hope for was for the betterment of things upon this earth. Their hope was limited to the scope of things earthly. But they could never hope for life after death. They could never hope for peace with their Creator God. They could never hope to enter into rest, perfect, blissful rest. They were without hope. They were without hope because, the verse ends, they were without God in the world. God had created a world. God had shaped the world in which the Gentiles lived. God, according to his sovereign hand, provided for the Gentiles that which they needed physically to stay alive. And yet, even though the Gentiles lived on the world that God created, yet they were without God in the world. They had other gods. The Ephesians had Diana, the goddess. They had silversmiths who would make for them their silver shrines for the people. They had witchcraft and many books which were devoted unto the curious arts. They had their forms of pleasure and entertainment so that momentarily they could alleviate the pain of being without hope and without God in the world. How miserable such an existence must have been for the Gentiles, seeking hope but never finding divine help, seeking, trying to find a a, a, a greater power or deity, creating even from their own imagination a goddess named Diana, but then finding that the goddess that they had created was powerless, impotent, and unable to deliver them from their bondage. Such was the state of the Gentiles throughout Old Testament history. You've borne patiently with me in rather lengthier development of history here. Now two applications that arise from these truths. What does this mean for us today? The first application that we see here is that the description that the Apostle Paul gives of the Gentiles is a description of you and me by nature. As Paul speaks here of the Gentiles as being without Christ, aliens of the Commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, Paul is describing us by nature. Were it not for the gracious, intervening work of God, we too would be without Christ. It is only because God sovereignly sought us out and God graciously brought us into his church and into his covenant, that the reality for us is any different than the description that Paul gives here. The consideration of this reality is humbling for us. For there is no room for boasting on our behalf as if we had made ourselves to differ. The second application that arises out of this is a word for those who can presently connect with and relate to the description that Paul gave of the Gentiles. it would be a mistake to conclude that simply because this is a church where the people of God assemble together, that there is nobody here who feels distant, who feels separated from the body of the church and feeling separated from the body of the church, feel separated from Jesus Christ himself, who is the head of the church. How grievous this is, how lonely this is, to feel distant, separate, aliens, remember that means excluded, excluded, Being excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. For some, the feeling is this they feel as if they are outsiders, mere bystanders who look in on the church, who desire to have a more central place in the church, but who feel as if they are pressed to the sides even separate, separated from the covenant of promise instead of it being that they're thankful they're no longer at that point remembering when they were Gentiles for some this is the present tense they feel right now alienated if one feels alienated because the individual is walking in sin and that happens some feel alienated from the church because they're walking in impenitent sin then the calling to that individual is repent and believe in Jesus Christ but if one who not because of any specific act of willful s- sin, still feels alienated from the church. And here, the word of God, is it contains the gospel of reconciliation. That word of reconciliation worked through Jesus Christ is given to us especially in the 14th verse for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was, in a very real sense, a wall that divided the Gentiles from the Jews. There was even there were even physical walls around Jerusalem walls that were made out of brick and out of stone with gates and hinges and it was necessary that Jesus Christ removed not just the physical wall but the spiritual wall that prevented the Gentiles from joining in that fellowship with, the church of, G- church of the New Testament. And so Jesus Christ, according to the 14th verse, broke down that middle wall. Literally, he dismantled that wall. He, he released that wall, he untied it. The idea is that that wall was tied together. There are the, the bricks that make up that wall, and that the bricks adhere one to another with the mortar that is placed in between those bricks. And Jesus Christ, through his lifelong suffering, through his descent into hell, and through his death on the cross, released those bricks from being joined one with another. He unloosed them and dismantled that wall so that there is no longer that separation between Gentiles and Jews. He destroyed it. History teaches us, beloved, that that the salvation of the Gentiles included destruction. There had to be destruction if the Gentiles were going to be incorporated into the New Testament church. It could be painful at times as God is at work in us destroying walls. When we think of the gospel, we think of peace and we think of unity and we think of love one with another. But the reality is that that road unto peace and that road unto unity is a road that involved Destruction. As Jesus Christ broke down that middle wall of partition. Breaking down that wall of partition cost Jesus. It cost him his own life. As he paid for the sins of Jews and Gentiles. Behold with me the sovereignty of God and the salvation of His people. You see, in this text, the Apostle Paul is teaching us about the Gospel. And Paul is establishing the truth that salvation is of grace alone. You see, there was found in the early New Testament church among the Jews, not all, but among some the, the Jews, the mentality that you must perform the works of the Old Testament laws, that you had to continue circumcising your sons on the eighth day, that you had to continue with the civil and the ceremonial laws. That you had to keep all of the Old Testament feasts and sacrifices and offerings. And if you did not keep all of these feasts and all of these sacrifices, then you were not truly a child of God. And so the Apostle Paul in this text, as he maintains adamantly that Jesus Christ is the one who broke down that middle wall of partition and then goes on in the 15th verse saying that he abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments was teaching the Jews at that time that salvation is not by your works that you have performed but salvation is wrought by Jesus Christ alone that's the meaning of that 15th verse when it says that he abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. The reference there of the commandments is unto the civil and the ceremonial laws. And the Apostle Paul is saying, we're done with that. You do not need to keep those Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws anymore. You do not have to follow that. That is not the basis on which you are righteous but the basis of your righteousness is Jesus Christ. And behold with me as well the sovereignty of the salvation that God wrought as God Himself through Jesus Christ sought the Gentiles who previously were aliens. And God through Jesus Christ brought these Gentiles into His church. It wasn't as if the Gentiles were out looking for Jesus Christ. It wasn't as if the Gentiles, being strangers from the covenants of promise, recognized that they were missing out on the hope of life after death and went around searching, persisting diligently looking for this promised mediator. But no, the reality is the Gentiles wanted nothing to do with the Jewish religion. The Gentiles hated the Christian religion. But Christ, Christ sought out the Gentiles. And the way he sought them was by the word. Verse 17. And came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. Who's the preacher? Who's the one who preached peace to the Gentiles who were far off and to the Jews who were nigh? Certainly, Paul was a preacher, a missionary preacher, and Paul went to Ephesus on several different occasions, accompanied by others. But the text is not speaking of Paul. Who is the preacher who preached to those that were afar off? The subject of the sentence is Christ. Christ is the preacher. goes all the way back to the 13th verse. But now in Christ Jesus, he who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, Christ, is our peace. Verse 15, Christ abolished in his flesh the enmity. Verse 16, that he... Christ might reconcile both unto God. Verse 17 continues Christ came and preached peace to you. Christ is the one who announced the gospel unto the Gentiles. Yes, Jesus Christ spoke through missionaries who were sent out. He continues to this day to speak through missionaries. But Christ is the one who sends them exactly where he desires that they go. Behold the sovereignty of God in the salvation of the Gentiles. The present state of the elect Gentiles is that they are reconciled. There's two parties unto whom they're reconciled. They're reconciled both unto God and they are reconciled unto the Jews. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. See, reconciliation with God is always the starting point for reconciliation with the brother. Whenever there is division, enmity between two parties, if these two parties will be reunited one with another, whether it be in the home, in the school, in the church or in the workplace, they must first be reconciled unto God. And so Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice on the cross, brought the Gentiles, the elect Gentiles, unto God. And then establishing that peace that is vertical, Jesus then also established the peace that is horizontal. Establish peace with the Jews. Verse 14, For He is our peace who hath made both one. Mathematically, it doesn't add up. Made both, which is two, one. And even the young children know that two does not equal one. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Whereas earlier there was separation and there was division, now they are brought close one to another. They are made nigh by the blood of Christ They were allowed access into spiritual Jerusalem, given access unto that most holy place where God tabernacles with his people. What in the Old Testament was the physical Jerusalem is replaced in the New Testament with the church so that now the New Testament church is made up of people from all of the nations of the earth. And so there is, because of Jesus Christ, peace. Peace in the church. For he is our peace. The Christian religion is not a divisive religion, but the Christian religion as it stands on truth is a unifying religion. The person of the world lacking faith fails to understand this reality that peace is established on the basis of Jesus Christ. The person of the world might understand and does understand The fact that there is enmity on this earth. He understands that there is racial tension and racial division. The person of the earth seeks even a cure and a remedy for that problem of division. But what the worldly man fails to do is he does not turn to the one who alone is able to reconcile both as one the man of the world does not confess the power of the cross of Jesus Christ one commentator states quote at the cross jew and gentile both reconciled to god embraced each other unquote Jesus is our peace. The text does not say Jesus is able to establish peace, though that is true. The text does not say that with Jesus we have hope of peace, though that is true too. But the text states it as a present Reality. Right now, Jesus is our peace. As Jesus spreads his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus draws us ever closer to himself with the sweet chords of love. As Jesus gives unto us the knowledge of the forgiveness of our sins on the basis of his work of breaking down that middle wall of partition, Jesus Christ is our peace. Amen. Let us pray. Father and our God in heaven, we are humbled by the thoughts of thy love and thy grace which is revealed unto us. Who are we to deserve such a good God as thee? Fill our hearts with gratitude unto thee for the unspeakable gift of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Strengthen us that we might render unto Thee grateful returns of ardent love and forgive even the sins of this worship service. For Jesus' sake, we pray this. Amen.